Right, tonight I'll be preaching from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 10. And amazingly, after almost uh, two and a half months, uh, this is a continuation from the series we began in 1 Corinthians. And I pondered on what God would have me say on this reunion of sorts. And I wanted to be relevant. I didn't want to just pick a a message just because it was part of a series, but it's amazing how this verse, which was the next verse to consider in First Corinthians, is so appropriate and uh, for what God has laid on my heart to share with you tonight. So First Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 10. By the way, by way of um, uh, uh, humor, uh, I'll add to you another uh, aspect of this I think Brother Prasad was scheduled to, to speak tonight. And so by way of keeping the secret intact without letting him know that we would be here, I asked my dad, Dad, what's the plan for indicating to Brother Prasad? He said, oh, don't worry, I got it taken care of. We're going to let him know that a, a visiting preacher is in town. and <laughs> He's going to be sharing with us tonight. And I presume that went over well and uh, there were no issues and he had no idea who the visiting preacher was for tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 10. The Bible says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy and your grace, for your love. Dear Lord, you have been an awesome God, and you are an awesome God. We thank you for your blessings upon our lives and for your word. I pray that you would use it in a special way to challenge our hearts. I pray that you would encourage each and every person here tonight. Thank you for each one here and for the love, support, for the dedication to you and to our family. I pray that you would continue to bless each one, meet each need in a very special way. Use your word to strengthen and challenge our hearts tonight. I will be careful to honor and give you all the glory. Praise the dear holy name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. Now, being away from you and from this place for the length of time that we have, uh, it allows you to do a lot of reflection, to think about life, to think about the priorities of life. To think about the things that sometimes we make priorities which are not as important as we sometimes make them. You get a chance to individually assess your own life in every aspect, whether it's spiritually, emotionally, relationally. You get time to reflect on loved ones, family members, church members, friends, people who are close to you. You get time to think of the work of God on a whole. And it's just a good time to be able to do a lot of thinking about the things in life that are really important. I thought of biblical character of Elijah and how after he had that mountaintop experience on Mount Carmel that in a very short time after he had a trial where he was running for his life and God took him and put him in quarantine, if you will, 
somewhat of isolation at the Brook Cherith. And if I would say so myself, I kind of felt sometimes like I was in quarantine, so to speak, in isolation at the Brook Cherith, dealing with this new path for my wife and this journey, which in many ways is an uncharted one. And one of the things that I've realized in my time of reflection is that the work of God, the church, the things of God that we are involved in, it is supremely valuable. It's valuable for a number of reasons. First of all, it's valuable because of what we do. We're involved in impacting lives. Not just for time here on earth, which in the grand scheme of things is so very short. But we're impacting lives for all eternity. And so this thing called the church, called the work of God, is very valuable and important because of what we do. But it's also valuable because of what it does for us. The overwhelming support that we have had and the encouragement through challenges, through difficulties, the guidance that you get from being in the Word of God, hearing from God, the teaching that we get when we come to this place week after week for how we are going to handle the upcoming week that we have no idea what we're going to face. The rebuke at times that we don't really like, it's not often comfortable, but it protects us from chaos and it keeps us on the path that God would have us to go on. So this work of God is valuable because of what we do. It's valuable because of what it does for us, but it's also valuable because of what it's going to mean for those who are going to come after us. Generations to come who have not yet even been born. And so this work of God is so valuable and it's important that we sacrifice and we give our lives and our time, our talent, our treasure because we are carrying on something that is so significant for generations to come. But another thing that I've realized as I reflected during this time is that the work of God is not about us. It's not about any one person. It's all about God. And if we haven't realized, we ought to realize now that the work of God can and should carry on without us. And I'm so delighted and encouraged that while we have been gone, that the work of God has carried on. And it has not only carried on, but it has carried on, been carried on, well. The choir has continued. Blessing hearts. The women's ministry has continued on. Being an encouragement to ladies. The men's ministry has carried on. The children's ministry has carried on. Preaching has been powerful. Listen, God is a good God. That kind of effort indicates maturity. It indicates spiritual growth. It indicates that teaching has taken place, but not only teaching, but learning. And those are two peas in a pod. 
But it should help us to realize that none of us, we're going to be here. We're not going to be here forever. And I share these things with you because by way of introduction to this message and this passage here tonight, I believe that the Apostle Paul had similar thoughts on his mind when he penned these several epistles to various churches. And here we are looking at one he would pen to the church at Corinth. The Apostle Paul's heart was completely invested in the work of God. You see, he had started this church at Corinth, and he had been with them for 18 months. They were near and dear to his heart. They were special to him. He loved them dearly. They loved him dearly as well. And he was here writing back to them because they meant something to him. This church had some problems. And it had come to Paul's knowledge and awareness of the problems that was being, were being experienced in this church. And because of his love for them, he couldn't just turn a blind eye. He couldn't ignore what was going on. He had to address it because of his sincere love for them. And we saw in verses 1 to 9, he gave them a commendation. We see a commendation to these saints because oftentimes when we hear of the book of Corinth, we think of a problematic church and they had their share of problems. But it was not all bad. You see, in verses 4 to 8, notice with me that the Apostle Paul says, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. That in everything ye are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. He says, listen, God has done a work in your life, and the only way it could be explained is that God did it. You come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It says in verse number 8, Who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. He's saying to them, listen, God is working in your life. Even though you, you have your faults and your problems, God is still working. Do you know that song? He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. So he gave them a Glowing commendation. But I want you to notice here in verse number 10, which we will just be in this verse here tonight. He follows up this commendation with what I want to call a conflict because of schisms. You see, they had some division that had arisen in this church. Now, the word schism means division. And the Apostle Paul was concerned about these schisms because he knew that they had the potential to threaten the work of God in a major way. You see, schisms distract us from our purpose. And so tonight I want us to notice his earnest appeal in verse number 10. And if you're taking notes, jot down a conflict because of schisms. We'll look at a number of different problems throughout this epistle that the Apostle Paul dealt with, and he dealt with them in a very forthright manner. But notice in verse number 10, his earnest appeal. Notice how he begins. He says, now I beseech you, brethren. 
Now, the Apostle Paul says, I'm going to address a matter here with you, but I want you to understand that I'm begging with you. I'm pleading with you. I'm going to beseech you. Why? Because what I'm about to draw to your attention, it is of great significance. It is of supreme importance. But I want you to pay attention to the words here. Because notice how he addresses them. He says, no, I beseech you, I beg of you, I plead with you. Look at how he references them, brethren. He's saying to them, I'm making an earnest appeal, but I'm not just making an earnest appeal to any and anybody. I'm making an earnest appeal, and I'm begging of you some things. Why? Because I have, a jot and jot this down, a personal relationship with you. He's saying to them, I'm addressing you as family. Family. You see, when it's family, it means something more. When you're part of a church, you are a part of a family. We are united by the blood of Christ. Amen? But here's what's also additionally special. It's that we are also serving God together in the same place, working towards the same goal. And so, when you are part of a local church, understand that we are a special family. There's a special bond. And here's why family is so significant. And here's why this really tugged at the heartstrings of the Apostle Paul. Because when you're dealing with family... You're invested in what goes on with your family members. When they hurt, you hurt. When they cry, you cry. When they laugh, you laugh. When they succeed, you succeed. At least that's how it ought to be, amen? And so the Apostle Paul says, I beseech you, I beg of you, brethren. Why? Uh, this is an earnest appeal because of the personal relationship that we have. But he also gave an earnest appeal because there was, in addition to this personal relationship, a powerful reason. Notice what he says. I beseech you, brethren. Notice the next few words. By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I'm beseeching you. I'm begging of you. I'm pleading with you because we have a supreme authority. Do you know that the authority by which we make requests of other people is important in their response? Children, pastors' children are accustomed at times to being the illustrations in their their father's messages, so you would bear with them. But I would submit to you that if Michaela made a request of Micah, it's not going to carry as much weight as if myself or my wife made the same request. Why? Because there is a parental authority that's bearing on that request, and it's natural to conclude that sibling authority is of lesser authority than parental. Amen? And so the authority that goes along with the request makes an impact. 
If you're driving in a vehicle and one of the passengers tells you at the driver, slow down. You might decide, I'm the driver, I'm going to drive how I want. But if the siren and the police car is bearing down on you and the police officer indicates to you to slow down, I dare say, yeah, you better slow down, amen? Because that individual is carrying with them the authority of the law. Paul says to them, I'm beseeching you, I'm begging of you, not just because you are my brother, you are my sister, but I'm appealing to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. My friend, this carries much weight. Why? Because this Lord Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's more than an earthly king. He's more than a president, a prime minister, and a premier. This is the God of the universe. The Apostle Paul says, I'm beseeching you by that name. What authority. I fear sometimes that we diminish the supreme authority of Jesus Christ. My friend, the Trinity is not an hierarchy of importance. As a matter of fact, if you read 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1 to 3, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Listen to this. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. My friend, when you look at the stars and the sky and the ocean and the universe and every aspect that we see, it was made by the Lord Jesus Christ. Apostle Paul is saying, that's the name upon which I am appealing to you with my request. So notice he makes this earnest appeal based on the supreme authority, but he also makes it because this same Jesus is the one who gave us a specific agenda. Understand that what the Apostle Paul is going to say in these verses and all the verses throughout this specific epistle is going to be pertaining to what's happening in a local church. And the Apostle Paul understood that this church like every other church, was commissioned by none other than Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 19 and 28 rather and verse 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you all the way, even unto the end of the world. And so the Apostle Paul is here saying to them, I'm not just coming to you as the Apostle Paul, but I'm coming to you as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ regarding the commission that he had given to them. So notice with me here tonight, by way of this earnest appeal, the Apostle Paul says, I'm coming to you based on a personal relationship. I'm coming to you based on a powerful reason. But finally, notice, he says, I'm coming to you tonight with a particular request. Look at what he says in the, that verse. That ye all speak the same thing. Now, that seems like an odd request, doesn't it? He says, I'm coming to you as 
a variety of different people, different backgrounds, different nationalities, different upbringings. And I'm asking you to all speak the same thing. This request that he's about to make of a church, first of all, notice, includes everyone. He says every single person, every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. Now, when he says to speak the same thing, the Apostle Paul is not suggesting that as human beings that they have now been resorted to being puppets. And whatever this person says, you just say the same words. No. When he says to speak the same thing, he's saying to them, as it relates to this agenda of the local church, we are to have the same doctrine. We are to have the same beliefs. We, of course, are to have the same Lord. And especially when it comes to reaching the lost, we are not to be contradicting one another. We are not to be opposing one another. We ought to, for this most important endeavor, we must have a united front. You see, the beauty about the church is that every single person has a role. Every single person has a responsibility. No matter how you might feel or no matter how unwanted or how unloved or uh, insignificant you might feel when it comes to God's plan for your life in being a part of this organism, this living, breathing organism called the church, there is a role for you to play that God has ordained for you no matter who you are. The Apostle Paul says, this request that I'm about to make, it includes every single person. But notice, there's an important expectation. He says that he all speak the same thing, and watch this, and that there be no divisions among you. You wonder if Paul was living in utopia? That you can have a church with no division? Is that unreasonable, Paul? Absolutely not. You see, my friend, there's a difference between a disagreement and a division. If you're in a church, you should expect disagreement. Don't get so quiet. In your family, you have disagreement, correct? If you're married, don't tell me you always agree with your spouse. You have disagreement, right? Yeah, a lot. One person thinks it should be done this way. Another person thinks it should be done another way. One person thinks we ought to paint the church red. Another person thinks we ought to paint it yellow. I intentionally did not use particular colors in my illustration. You get that one a little later. Disagreements are a part of our human existence. No two people think exactly alike. But disagreement does not have to lead to division. The Apostle Paul was insisting to them, as a matter of fact, you are never to let it get to the stage of division. 
If you see the vision coming up, listen, you say, you know what? It's better I just let it go. That's how seriously the Apostle Paul took this matter of unity. You see, oftentimes and far too often, sometimes in families or in churches, people have a mindset. If I don't agree and if it's not my way, I will actively oppose. I will create a group and make sure I form a, a, a society of all those who agree with me. And we're going to, I'm going to be the president and we're going to actively oppose. That's the vision. Apostle Paul says that ought not to find its way in the church of God. You say, why is that so important? The Apostle Paul knew that division would affect their worship. Division would affect the working of the Holy Spirit in their hearts and in their lives. And as such, he says to them, this expectation is that this living, breathing work of God that ought to be engaged in defeating the forces of evil and fighting the devil cannot afford to have cracks of division on the inside. But notice with me, this important expectation that includes everyone has to come about with an intentional effort. I like the illustration of a puzzle. And you may have heard this before, but years ago, several years ago, a family for family night worked on a jigsaw puzzle for several weeks before we would complete it. And here's why a jigsaw puzzle is so appropriate, the illustration of it, so appropriate to what I want to share with you or sharing with you here tonight is that there are times when it's not going to be easy. It's going to look like you're not making progress. And every single piece in that puzzle is uniquely created for a specific place in that picture. But unless you intentionally determine I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to work it out. I'm going to figure it out. Until we get to the end, it's not going to happen. So my friend, when it comes to the church, we are all uniquely different. We are all individually made by God with different abilities, different likes, different preferences, different features. Everything about us is unique. But yet, God intended for us to fit together in that beautiful picture called the church for his honor and for his glory. So what are we going to do when there is a disagreement? We're going to work it out. We're going to say, listen, this is not going to just happen. This jigsaw puzzle is all of a sudden going to just abracadabra, boom, and it's just this wonderful picture. No, it's going to take some effort. It's going to take some decisions to talk to somebody who has rubbed me the wrong way. And, hey, let's be patient. Let's see how we can work through this. How we can reach an understanding. How we can work together and to ensure that there is no division that tears us apart. And here's what's so beautiful about intentionally deciding to work together that the end result is beautiful. And God uses 
such mindsets to do something great for his honor and for his glory. The Apostle Paul, look at this. You notice that this is intentional effort. He says that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be what? Perfectly joined together. With all the uniqueness, this perfection is not going to just happen, my friend. We got to work at it. We got to put ourselves in the background and let Jesus be in the forefront. And that we are perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. I'm so thrilled and I am proud of what God is doing at Child Baptist Church. Even in the middle of incredible difficulties and challenges and unexpected twists and turns. But I want to encourage each and every person to continue to do your part. Continue to be on board. And if you're not on board, get on board. Because God has a place and a role for you. And I pray that God will continue to encourage our hearts and strengthen each and every one. And that we would see God honored and glorified and magnified and lifted up. And when he's lifted up, he'll draw all men, women, boys and girls, unto himself. And so let's be encouraged that God is still doing great things. And he will use our efforts when they're sincere to show himself mighty and strong.